0: What was Christmas like over 150 years ago, back in 1868? Let's take a peek into the letters and diaries of people to see what Christmas was like back then in their own words. What did they do for Christmas? How did they celebrate back then? What did they eat and drink? What games did they play? And what presents did people give out for Christmas all the way back in 1868?
1: You're listening to Backyard History, The Hidden Stories That Happened in Your Own Backyard. The podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes. With your host and author, Andrew McLean.
2: Today's my 24th birthday.
0: Georgiana Perry began her diary entry that Christmas day. For Georgiana, Christmas day was the end of a long and hectic Christmas season. Christmas Eve had been a particularly busy day. She had driven her horse and sled to an event held for Fredericton's orphans.
2: I drove to the exhibition to deliver shirts, dresses, and petticoats to all the children.
0: She had ordered the clothing from England and was quite relieved when the box had arrived on the 19th as she was growing concerned that it wouldn't make it in time for Christmas. Ships carrying goods and mail weren't necessarily as reliable in little Fredericton where she lived, which is inland, as they were in the much bigger and richer port city of St. John.
2: That afternoon at the exhibition, we saw the children all have tea. Afterwards, snapdragons and a Christmas tree.
0: Christmas trees at the time were actually a relatively new innovation. It's probably kind of surprising, but in the heavily forested maritime Canadian East Coast, Christmas trees were seen somewhat suspiciously for the simple reason that the trees were supposed to stay outdoors. These orphans, and those who were throwing them that Christmas party on that Christmas Eve, were almost certainly decorating an outdoors Christmas tree that day. As for the game that Georgiana mentioned them all playing, called Snapdragons, well, that was the hottest game of the time. Actually, it's quite possible that it was the most popular game of all time. Snapdragons began way before Christmas ever did, and was being played at least 3000 years ago. The ancient Greeks were playing snapdragons some 300 years before Jesus Christ was actually born. Greek historian Herodotus wrote that Hercules himself had invented snapdragons some 900 years before he was alive himself, which would date this game to some 1300 years before Christ was born. So basically, snapdragons is a very old game. And it had a lot of longevity because it was still super popular in 1868. So why don't we play snapdragons anymore? Well, I'll just describe how this game is played. And then you can decide for yourself. So here are the rules. You take a plate or a shallow bowl and you fill the bottom of it with brandy or some other kind of hard liquor, and then you scatter a few raisins in the alcohol and you turn off all the lights. And then you light the alcohol on fire so now you're in this dark room with a low blue flame of burning alcohol is the only light in the room the flickering blue flames are casting dancing shadows around the room the dim way they illuminate the faces of the people sitting around the fire makes their expressions seem contorted and dramatic and then you reach into the fire and snatch out the raisins with your bare fingers the person who picks out the most raisins out of the flaming bowls wins. It's simple, it's easy to play, and it has a risk of setting your house on fire. That is the game of snapdragons. Throughout the holiday season, in Georgiana Perry's diary, we see that she is
2: complaining of a persistent toothache.
0: We can probably diagnose the cause of this when she wrote things in her diary like,
2: Mrs. O'Dell came to see me and brought some donuts. There's a big
0: Christmas donut tradition in the Maritimes back then which verged on obsession.
3: The 1808 St. John Globe newspaper wrote, The donut is the king of the feast, fat, juicy and crisp, well cooked and wholesome. We are half ashamed of them, though a requisite of Christmas culture we eat them in a furtive manner. Most old fellows carry donuts around in their pockets and eat them at all sorts of unreasonable hours. Some families make them by the barrel. Elizabeth Ann O'Dell
0: was considered the best cook in Fredericton back in 1868, and she had brought some of her homemade Christmas donuts to Georgiana Perry's house days earlier. Elizabeth jotted down her famous donut recipe on the blank page of a book, which was recently discovered in an attic in Fredericton. She called it... Elizabeth's Healthy Donuts. And her recipe was... A cup and a half of sugar, one of sweet milk two eggs, one teaspoonful of butter, one teaspoonful cream of tartar, half a teaspoonful of soda, add three and three quarter cups flour until it is almost as stiff as pie crust, cut into a u-shape, twist the ends, and fry in hot lard. Possibly after a taste test, she added. Update! Suggested additions. One and a half teaspoons vanilla, a few grains of salt, ginger, sour cream,
3: molasses, or nutmeg to taste.
0: Last Christmas, me and my own family tried out this recipe, and I've got to say, they turned out really well, with, of course, Elizabeth O'Dell's added suggestions. That Christmas day, Georgiana Perry also wrote in her diary,
2: After church, I visited Juliana Ewing, but found her in bed with a cold and feverish attack.
0: Georgiana Perry and Juliana Horatio Ewing were great friends, with their diaries mentioning them hanging out together most days. The 27-year-old Juliana Horatio Ewing was a famous British author who was then living in Fredericton with her husband Alexander, who was an officer at the British Garrison stationed there. Dedicated listeners might remember Juliana from the Backyard History episode called Getting Away With Murder listeners may recall she mentioned in passing how that halloween some children had stolen her cabbages while blindfolded
4: dotty they go around stealing cabbages to tell their fortunes by
0: it was a common halloween activity because the cabbage was supposed to give you clues about who you would one day marry it turns out it It wasn't actually kids that stole her cabbages at all, though, but it was actually Georgiana who confessed as much in her diary in an entry from that Halloween saying,
2: I went up to the Ewings and I pulled the cabbages.
0: Backyard History
1: Solving century-old vegetable thefts since 2021 For the preceding
0: week, Juliana had been bedridden with a bad flu.
4: She wrote in a letter to her family back in England. The weather the last few days has been most unusual this year. We've had some very cold, bright weather since the mild days. The cold came suddenly, on a thaw that froze the melted snow, as it poured from the roofs and made a fine display of icicles. I suppose some are four, five feet in length. The cold made the sickness come on so suddenly, too. Many people have felt a good deal ill. I'm very sorry to say that being ill has prevented me from finishing my latest story. People come and ask after me in the kindest way though. That Christmas morning, her husband Alexander,
0: who she always called Rex for short, had brought Juliana breakfast in bed. Then, in a case of rather poor timing, he informed his sick wife that he was likely to be deployed somewhere else when they departed Fredericton. This meant it would be several more years before they would be able to return home to England.
4: Juliana wrote a letter to her sister describing her reaction. Strangely enough, it was on Christmas Day when the news came. You know that I had a sort of wild hope of returning home to Ecclesfield. I couldn't hold out when Rexy came in to talk about it, and I broke down and had a regular good cry. I knew it was very selfish, for he prefers to be abroad, and I expected him to be quite vexed, but I couldn't keep it back. But oh, he was so kind. He sympathized and comforted me and made me feel all right again. I have never loved him so much. It really is very good news, though, for we had some fears of being moved to Halifax. Fancy if we got moved to Halifax in that weather, away from all our friends, to a place we don't even like very well. Despite being sick, the night before, on Christmas Eve,
0: Juliana had been active, preparing for Christmas. Except in her case, because she was a wealthy aristocrat and an independently wealthy author as
4: well, being active meant instructing her servants to prepare for Christmas. I had fun sending Hetty shopping for our turkey and various last-minute odds and ends for our Christmasings. It was pretty interesting that she got a turkey for Christmas dinner.
0: Traditionally, Maritimers always had duck for Christmas. But the fashionable and worldly Juliana was following the brand-new fad of having a turkey for Christmas instead. She, and the whole rest of the world got this turkey idea from a then brand new book written by an English author named Charles Dickens called A Christmas Carol. You might have heard of it. There really wasn't a Christmas turkey tradition before that book. A Christmas Carol literally changed what we eat on Christmas even today. But why, you might ask, did Charles Dickens write a turkey dinner into his book when back then nobody really ate turkeys? Well, because he liked turkey. It was simple as that. I mean, this guy really liked turkeys. Charles Dickens actually had a whole personal turkey farm to grow his own turkeys to eat. He liked turkeys so much that he replaced their traditional Christmas duck with turkey in his book. And as a result of this one man's eccentric and passionate taste in birds,
4: you're probably going to eat a turkey on Christmas too. Oh, I almost forgot. On Christmas Eve, my Indian brother Peter Poultry came to give me a call. Her friend's name was actually Peter Polchie's, but in what seems to be an inside joke
0: that Juliana had going on with her sister Dot, she always spelled his last name wildly differently in each of her letters. Before she left England, people had warned Juliana to avoid indigenous people. However, after moving to Fredericton, she discovered that the number one must-have fashion item for ladies back in 1868 were knee-high beaded moccasins being the fashionable high-class lady she was, Juliana was driven by her fashion sense to cross the river alone and go to Sistanic, otherwise known as the St. Mary's Reserve, looking to buy moccasins. There she met the 50-year-old master birchbark canoe builder named Peter Polchies. She didn't bring any money with her for the shopping excursion, but told Polchies she'd pay him back if he let her have some moccasins. The next day, a rather perturbed, Peter Poultry showed up at her house, concerned that she'd ripped him off. She gave him his money, and she asked if she could buy a canoe from him. And he could teach her to paddle it. And they became close friends, based on the somewhat unusual beginning. Peter Poultry's taught her how to snowshoe that winter, and canoe in the summers. And he also sold her the snowshoes and the canoes to do it. Hearing that she was ill that Christmas, the concerned
4: Peter Poultries came to visit her to check on her. When Peter Poultries was here, Rex took the opportunity to buy me a pair of beadwork moccasins from him. Being too sick to get him a gift, I gave him money to go to the shops and buy a Christmas present. From me to him. He returned with the sheet music to Israel in Egypt and had bought an American stethoscope for me. Peter Poultries was close enough friends with Juliana that he often teased her.
0: For example, he thought that her insisting on going snowshoeing in her fashionable full-length dresses and corsets was kind of ridiculous. He thought that she should just wear pants snowshoeing like Willis women did. Of course, women wearing pants was unheard of back then, at least for European women, and so she refused. And in her signature waddle while snowshoeing in a full-length dress and corset was a subject of endless amusement for Peter Polchies. Later that Christmas day, Juliana's husband, Alexander, left to lead the barracks' Christmas event, while Juliana stayed home alone. She had given her servants a day off so they could enjoy their own Christmases with their own families. The Christmas event that Alexander was going to was a play called Villikin's and his Dina. Alexander had arranged the music for the play, he was acting in it, and he was also directing it. Georgiana Perry was in the audience watching the play that day. She kept a copy of its program, which she glued into her diary, and this explained the plot.
2: Villikins and his Dinah features Villikins, a young apprentice who's desperately in love with Dinah. Grumbleton Gruffin, played by Alexander Ewing, refuses to let his daughter Dinah and Villikins to marry, which causes the lovers to drink poison and die. They are miraculously revived by the announcement that were they alive, he would let them marry.
0: As I'm sure you can tell from that description, it wasn't a Christmas play at all, but rather it was a comedy. It was a parody of a then very popular tragedy play that was selling out in London called William and Dina, which, um, well, it's a tragedy. So let's say that the, London version does not end with the main characters getting miraculously revived. Also, the play it was based on was entirely in Cockney English, which is a curious rhyming slang which is particular to a very local specific part of London. So the point I'm trying to get at here is that it was a rather niche play that we had a parody of that was going on in Christmas Day in Fredericton, New Brunswick, which suggests that the Maritimes back in 1868 were a lot more worldly, that we might give them credit for. All of this was taking place at the barracks on Queen Street in Fredericton. Right across the street from those barracks stood a candy shop owned by a man named Charles Sampson. A newspaper advertisement in the Colonial Farmer Newspaper had announced
3: that. Santa Claus has appointed Charles A. Sampson confectioner agent for the holiday season
0: four Christmases after the one we're talking about today, Charles Sampson's little candy shop in Fredericton would become only the second shop ever in all of North American history where Santa Claus would ever make an in-person appearance. Santa Claus would come down the streets in a bright red sled pulled by two horses, causing quite the commotion amongst the children as he handed out candy. Santa told the children to be sure to leave their houses' doors unlocked on Christmas Eve to let him in. Of course, back in the time we're talking about, the chimneys were actually being used to, you know, heat houses at night, and Santa didn't want anyone to freeze on his behalf by putting those fires out. Juliana Horatia Ewing wrote in a letter to her sister that while she was home alone that Christmas Day, just after her husband had gone to that play, She heard a knock on her door she struggled out of bed and to the door to answer it by the time she got downstairs and made it to the door there was no one there
4: but on the porch what should appear a mysterious wrapped up package inside the package was a very pretty silver coffee pot with an anonymous note thanking me for putting up with them all year i wonder whoever it is from we
0: can probably solve this mystery too. And it seems like the same culprit was also Georgiana Perry because her diary mentions.
2: On the way to the barracks, I made a quick stop to make a Christmas delivery.
1: Backyard History, solving mysterious Christmas presents
0: since 2021. Perhaps everything you've heard so far give you the impression that Christmases back 150 odd years ago were not as commercialized back then as they are today. Perhaps you're picturing an idealized past, free from being constantly blasted with endless ads with incessant pressure to buy presents, and so on. If you're putting the past on a pedestal this way, I've got some bad news. Back in 1868, just like now, in early November, the Christmas ads began, And then, just like now, from November on, it was non-stop, wall-to-wall ads pressuring people to buy, buy, buy. In 1868, St. John was just as big as Halifax, its arch rival for the position of the biggest and most important port in the Maritimes. This meant that people in even relatively isolated inland Fredericton had access to an astonishing array of exotic goods arriving by ship in St. John from all over the world and were transported up the river to the city. Well, we've probably heard of the old Maritimes tradition of getting an orange in your stocking for Christmas. Oranges were pretty exotic back then, so they were being shipped all the way over from Portugal. But we probably think that is something a bit more modern. I mean, my own mother talks about getting oranges in her stocking for Christmas when she grew up on New Brunswick's North Shore back in the 1960s. However, we wouldn't be surprised to learn that In the modern and cosmopolitan big city of St. John, way back in 1868, not only were oranges available in the cold, dark, and often bleak Decembers, but an amazing variety of fresh fruits and vegetables from all over the world. Let's check out some actual Christmas advertisements that appeared in St. John newspapers at Christmas time. And of course by Christmas time, I mean starting in November
4: of that year. Nothing can give more lasting pleasure than a book. Persons in doubt to what they shall select for Christmas presents are respectfully invited to examine our stock of books at J&A Macmillan Booksellers.
5: The great Christmas sale of silks and shawls of reduced prices enable persons of moderate incomes to purchase reliable goods within their means, and we cheerfully invite the public to come judge for themselves. Our reduced rates are genuine. And not one of the tricks of the trade, unlike other shops.
3: Page Brothers have received special importations for the holiday season of watches and fashionable jewelry from English, French, and American manufacturers. Silver, electroplated, and fine gold jewelry, including bracelets, lockets, sleeve buttons, rings, studs, crosses.
2: If you'd like to have the handsomest, lightest running, most noiseless, durable, and economical sewing machine ever invented, by a Wheeler and a Wilson.
4: The American family knitting machine will knit anything in far better style and a 100 times faster. A good operator can knit 15 to 20 pairs of socks a day. Simple, durable, and cheap. Just the thing for a Christmas present. Get yours at G&H Waiters.
5: Alcohol and rye whiskey just arrived from Portland. 65% overproof old rye whiskey. For sale by John O'Gorman, at low prices for cash, approved payment, or
3: on bond. Only 30 barrels left. A great variety of small articles suitable for decorating Christmas trees. Need an inexpensive for sale by George Stewart Jr. at 24 King Street.
5: Kennedy & Co. has just
4: received Valencia Oranges, lever Raisins, Leghorn Citron, and Java Coffee. Wines! Fine Old Port and Sherry, Scotch Ginger Wine, Irish Whiskey, Jamaican Rum, Holland Gin, Bottled Ale and Porter, Champagne, etc., All for sale at the lowest rates by O'Gorman & Co. Family Bibles! Family Bibles!
2: New and beautifully illustrated Family Bibles at TB Hannington's Auction House. For sale, low Christmas prices at Morrison's. Canned oysters, peaches, tomatoes, strawberries, pineapples, fruit jellies, tomato cats...
3: Manchester, Robertson, and Allison want to inform the public that they have imported a large selection of goods for the Christmas trade, which are now ready for inspection. The following list of items will be found worth by all those who are searching for Christmas presents. Lady silk scarves, jackets, lunch baskets, gentlemen's scarves, and a fancy box.
0: It wasn't only constant wall-to-wall ads in St. John at Christmas, though. The diary of 19-year-old Robert Raymond, who was a student studying at the University of New Brunswick in Fredericton, offers us a different perspective of Christmas, too. He had just finished his exams before heading home to St. John for the holidays when he wrote in his diary.
5: After exams, the students were assembled and the president declared the term closed. The students responded by singing "Old Lang Syne three times. My professors opened their hearts and gave us a couple of turkeys to make amends for all the former lackings.
0: Raymond then went back home to St. John from Fredericton for the holiday season. He was only one of three students from St. John that were studying at UNB that year. He wrote that when he got home,
5: I found my family all well and happy to greet me. On Christmas Day we went to two separate church services, first in St John and later in Lower Norton. The churches were joyfully decorated, and the services were quite animated and humorous, but the singing was not extremely good. The minister offered the young ladies love advice for the Christmas sermon. In order to measure how good of a husband a man will make, they should observe how he
0: treats his mother. Outside of the major cities, there were fewer options for Christmas entertainment. On the Kingston Peninsula, farmer Benjamin Crawford's Christmas Day Diary entry read simply,
3: We thought to take a sleigh ride, but the ice was too thin, so we came back again.
0: And so the Christmas of 1868 came to an end. A few days later, on New Year's Eve, 19-year-old student Robert Raymond jotted down in his diary his thoughts about the year that had been, and his hopes for the year to come.
5: This is the last day of the year. Time flies on with lightning speed never, never to return. It seems but a short time since we welcomed in the new year, which is now passing into eternity. Sad is the thought that so much of our time is spent in anger when the time we spend on Earth is so short, fleeting. In this coming year, I hope the good we have received in the past year bears fruit, and for any evils we may have done to be forgiven.
0: And stay tuned to next week's episode of the Backyard History Podcast to hear what Juliana Horatia Ewing got up to that year at the New Year's Eve ball held at the governor's house, which shocked the snooty little aristocratic circle.
1: That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard. Produced by Jordan Lozier.